about a month or so ago, uh, Chris uh, McKnight asked if I would be willing to uh, to preach today, and uh, that my topic would be uh, uh, the five solas. And I said, "Well, which one?" And he said, "Well, all five of them." I said, now wait a minute, y'all are going to be dividing that up between the elders that are out at the uh, family camp. Each one of you is taking one, but you want me to do all five. I said, Chris, we don't have two hours. And he said, well, if anybody can land their plane faster than anybody else, it's you. So I'm going to land my plane pretty fast, and I'm going to cover some area that's extremely, extremely important for us to understand as Protestants and why we believe what we believe, and the basis for what we believe, and why we act out what we do believe. And so, today I want to talk to you about sola scriptura, sola gloria, sola fide, sola Christa. I want to talk to you about all of the solas, the five solas. And so we'll begin with reading something that... uh, characterizes the beginning of the uh, Reformation, which actually happened 500 years ago this month. In the 12th and 13th centuries, the sale of indulgences was a byproduct of the Crusades. Because they risked dying without the benefit of a priest to perform the appropriate ceremonies, Crusaders were promised immediate salvation if they died while fighting to liberate the Christian city of Jerusalem. Church leaders justified this by arguing that good works earn salvation. And making Jerusalem accessible to Christians was an example of a good work. Over time, church leaders decided that paying money to support good works was just as good as performing good works. And it evened things up for people who were physically unable to partake in the fighting of the crusade. Well, over several centuries, this practice expanded. Church leaders justified it by arguing that they had inherited an unlimited amount of good works from Jesus, and the credit for these good works could be sold to believers in the form of indulgences. In other words, indulgences functioned like confession insurance against eternal damnation, because if you purchased an indulgence, then you wouldn't go to hell if you died suddenly or forgot to confess something. In later years, the sale of indulgences spread to include forgiveness for the sins of the people who were already dead. Although reformers had many complaints about the Catholic Church of the 16th century, this practice of selling indulgences raised the most opposition. An indulgement was a, was a payment to the Catholic Church that purchased an exemption from punishment or penance for some types of sins. You could not get an indulgence to excuse a murder, for example. However, you could get one to excuse many lesser sins, such as thinking lustful thoughts about someone who was not your spouse. The customers of indulgences were Catholic believers who feared that if one of their sins went unnoticed or unconfessed, they would spend extra time in purgatory before reaching heaven, or worse, wind up in hell for failing to repent. Enter Martin Luther. This little monk from Germany, Martin Luther, born 1484, 
died at the young age of 62 in 1546. In 1517, he did something that basically changed the world forever. At the age of 33, he nailed his 95 theses or disputations on the power of indulgences to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. This would be the beginning of the Reformation. This would be the beginning of the Reformers. The beginning of the protest, which leads to Protestants or Protestantism. Let me give you three examples of his 95 Theses and what he said in these uh, proclamations. Number 27. They preach only human doctrines who say that as soon as the money clinks into the money chest, the soul flies out of purgatory. Number 32. Those who believe that they can be certain of their salvation because they have indulgence letters will be eternally damned together with their teachers. And number 54, injury is done to the word of God when in the same sermon an equal or larger amount of time is devoted to indulgences than the word of God. And that was being practiced a lot. Well, he had had enough. He had had all he could take. He didn't want to do away with the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform it. He wanted to change it. They wouldn't have anything to do with it. These 95 disputations were a huge slap in the face of the Roman Catholic Church at that time. It's why we're called Kerrville Bible Church and not Kerrville Holy Roman Catholic Church. We're Protestants. We are Reformed. So, thinking about that and thinking about the foundation for why we believe what we believe and the fact that we are Protestants, we have to look at the five solas or the five alones. Solas is the word alone in the Latin language. The five foundational Latin phrases or slogans of the Reformation. They were given in response to the perversion of the truth being taught by the Roman Catholic Church. They are the foundational rallying cries of the Protestant reformers. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Christus, Christ alone. And Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. It could be said like this. Salvation is based on Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. The operative word here is what? Alone. Alone. There's nothing else. It's what sets us apart with the true gospel from the false gospels. It's the whole basis for the Reformation. We are reformed. We are reformed. So let's look at them one at a time. Number one, sola scriptura, scripture alone. It means we don't ask our congregation to take our word for it. We don't tell you what the Bible says and just take it for yourself. We want you to know what the Bible says. It means the Bible alone is our supreme source and our final authority for everything that we believe and everything that we do. 
You've heard the terminology first among equals. In our church, we have seven elders. We have seven elders. One of our elders is first among equals. That would be our pastor, Chris McKnight. He is considered equal with the other elders in our church, but he's also considered first among equals. Well, it doesn't work that way with the Bible. The Bible isn't first among equals. There's nothing equal to it. It's all unique, and it's our source of and our final authority. There's nothing equal. <laughs> nothing equals the Word of God. It's our foundation for Curvo Bible Church, which it says what? Biblical preaching, believing prayer. Isn't that our foundation? The operative word here is biblical. The scriptures. That's why we're called Kerrville Bible Church, because we believe that this is the foundation for everything that we say and do. We don't look to the farmer's almanac for that. We don't look to our daily horoscope to find out how we're supposed to live. We don't turn to the opinion page of the Kerrville Daily Times or even the religious page of the Kerrville Daily Times, not Christian radio, not Christian television, not Christian books, or even thoughts from Christian preachers. That's not our source. Not some private interpretation of of a church institution. And in case you're wondering, it's not the heartfelt stories from Facebook either. That's not where we get our source. Our source for life and joy and happiness and living comes from one source. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. It is God's Word speaking to us in a manner that is fully authoritative, sufficient, and altogether reliable. Isaiah 8.20 says this, To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this Word, it is because they have no dawn. Let me explain. The law and the testimony is the Word of God. The law and the testimony, that is the word of God. Having no dawn means, it's a, it's a synonym, for they are in perpetual darkness. To not have dawn would mean that you would be in darkness. They have no light of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us and declares that they are spiritually dead without Christ. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite Bible commentators and preachers, said this, worldly and ignorant spiritual leaders produce worldly and ignorant people. If you sit under someone who's ignorant about God's Word, then you're liable to be that way yourself. Sad to say, but it's true. This is what the church leaders were doing in the 16th century and why many, and what many are still doing today. They're leading people down the wrong path. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. You can't improve on perfection. It doesn't get any better. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. None of it, not one word, was the invention of man. We don't take away from it the parts we don't like. You know, there are parts in the Bible that, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't like. I don't like some of the parts in the Bible, but I can't just rip out the pages that I don't like. I can't do that. I have to take the Bible as a whole, as it's been given to us. Well, on the other hand, I can't add things to it. 
I can't say, well, I don't like the way that says, so I'm going to rewrite it and I'm going to add some things to it. No, we don't do that. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. The canon, the biblical canon is closed. It's closed. 2 Timothy 3.16. Many of you know this verse. It's a very famous verse, very popular verse. All scripture is inspired by whom? By God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's why we have it. It's not some parts of it, not most of it, not partly, but all of it. From cover to cover, from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. From the beginning to the end, it's God's word. There is, that's all there is. There's nothing more. Nothing more is needed. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. The second one is sola gratia, or grace alone. We don't achieve righteousness, do we? Do we strive for righteousness? Do we work for our righteousness? No. We are declared righteous in Christ. God does the declaring. We can't do that. We can't earn our salvation. We are declared righteous in Christ. The law says, do this, and the work is never done. That's what the law says. The law says, do this, and the work is never done. Grace says, believe this, and everything is done already. Why is that so hard for people to understand? I don't know. Good works that precede faith are useless. They're useless. Works that proceed from faith are proof of life. Once you are enlightened by Christ and you're born again, born into his family, the things that you do are pleasing to the Lord. Someone once said, while works will never get you to Jesus, Jesus will get you to work. I believe that to be true. If that weren't true, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. We are saved by the grace of God alone and nothing else. What possibly... What possible thing could we add to the grace of God? Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 and 7 say this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Adam was given a specific command. There was no ambiguity about it. There was no question about it. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew knew what he was allowed to do, what he was not allowed to do. But eventually, he and his wife Eve both disobeyed God's command. When confronted with their sin and their disobedience, what did they they try to do? (laughs) They attempted to cover their nakedness with, with fig leaves. God is not fooled. He wasn't fooled then. He's not fooled now. And what does Adam do? He blames, well, it's his wife you gave me here. She's the one that made me fall into sin. And what does she do? She blames Satan. Nothing has changed. We don't, we don't want to take the blame for our own sin. We want to blame someone else. It's someone else's fault. What does God do? He sacrifices an animal and he covers their nakedness with skin. Here we both see mercy and grace from our our Heavenly Father. It's demonstrated. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. The first sin that we see recorded here is followed 
by the first act of mercy and grace. This is an, exp- is an expression of how Christ will cover us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very famous verses. Many of you know this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. No one may boast. Once we define grace, once we understand the true meaning of grace, everything else seems to fall into place. It does. When you understand that, that He's done it all for us, and it's by His grace that we're saved. Once we understand what God has done for us, we have a new perspective, a new appreciation. We have a new love. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. We are justified or acceptable to God, made right before God by faith, by believing alone. This goes way back to Abraham. If we look back in Genesis chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, this is what the Bible tells us. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born to my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is the first time the words believed and righteousness are used in God's word. Abraham at that moment was declared righteous by God. Why? Why was he declared righteous? Because he believed what God had said. In other words, his faith was expressed. He expressed what he believed in his heart. Later, his faith would be demonstrated with his son Isaac. We all know the story of Isaac and And how he, out by faith, was willing to sacrifice his son. We are justified before God only through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.28 says this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Well, that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty easy to understand. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It's our faith that saves us. Martin Luther said this about that particular verse. This phrase expresses the conviction that justification is received by opening empty hands of faith to receive the divine gift of acceptance. Through this means, sinners receive the imputed righteousness of Christ and on this basis alone become children of God Human works do not secure such favor in God's sight so that no person can boast. That was his premise. That's what he was saying. Why are you people doing all these good works? You're trying to earn your salvation. It's already been paid for. Rest in that. Believe that. Since no humans are righteous by virtue of their own efforts, they must be justified or declared righteous. This can only happen by God. Why is that so hard to understand? Sola fide, faith alone. 
The fourth sola, sola Christus, Christ alone. We sing the song, Christ alone, one of our favorites to sing here. What could you possibly add to Christ? What, what is there? What, what could you possibly add to, to this perfect Son of God? Jesus Christ alone is our Savior, Lord and King. He alone represents us to the Father. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is no one else. There never will be anyone else. We look to Christ alone as the mediator through whom God has accomplished salvation. John 14, 6 says, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When I want to go somewhere, typically I have two or three ways of getting there. Occasionally I go to the Veterans Administration to the hospital and uh, give blood and get, you know, have my annual checkup. Because I'm a veteran and thankful for it, by the way. And I think of, uh, there's at least, there's at least three ways for me to get over there. But I usually like to take the fastest way to get there. Well, you know, in this instance, there's only one way to get where you want to go, and that's through Christ. Don't follow Adam. He lost his way. There's no other way. Not my way, not your way. Not Buddha's way, not the Pope's way, not Muhammad's way. It's Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way. He is the way. Let me pose a question. What could we possibly add to the blood of Christ? (laughs) What would there be? Nothing. There's nothing we can add to it. It's perfect. What good deed could we possibly do to add to Christ's suffering for us? Compared to Christ's suffering, it's filthy rags. The Bible tells us that. There's nothing. It's all been done for us. How is that so many people do not understand this? When we sing about the grace of God, I mean, I've heard the word, I've probably heard the word and spoken the word a million times in my life. Thank God for the grace of God. Why us? Why are we here today? Because it's the grace of God that allowed us to be here today. Why is it like that? Perhaps it's because it's within our nature to want to do all we can, just like Adam and Eve did. Maybe that's our nature. Maybe we just want to, we want to contribute something. Let's, let's add something to what Christ has already done. It doesn't work that way. It's already been done for us. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And then the final one, which basically is the summarization of all of them, is sole deo gloria, glory to God alone. These words summarize the theology of the Reformation. They answer the question, why? Why? Why are the Scriptures alone our authority? Why is grace alone the reason for our salvation? Why is faith alone the way we are justified? Why is Christ alone the source of our salvation? The answer, the answer, in order that God would receive all of the glory. That's the reason. 
That we would not receive anything, that God would receive all of the glory. This is how we are called to live, for the glory of God. Not our own glory. Not for the glory of the state of Texas. Not for the glory of the United States of America. Not for the glory of Kerrville Bible Church. As Christians, we give glory to God and God alone. What is our... What does our purpose say? We exist, we exist as a church, we exist to what? Glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. I exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are here to bring glory to God. That's what we do. That's what, who we are. You see, it's not about you and me. It's all about Him. In other words, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we do, we do not live by our own authority. We don't do our own thing all the time. We do not live for our own selfish purposes. We live for the exaltation of God and God alone. God is glorious. We are not. Let that sink in for a moment. God is the one who's glorious. We're not the ones who are glorious. He is. We have been left here to glorify God in everything that we do. No matter what we do, if we're sitting down or lying down or walking or running, wherever we go and whatever we do, our purpose is to glorify God. How do we do that? I think you know. I think you know. Isaiah 6.3 tells us the whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. In First Chronicles 16, 23-29a, this is what the Bible says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. All glory begins to God and no other. The Protestant work ethic which has made the United States the most prosperous nation on earth, simply stated, is that all work should be done to the glory of God. When is man at his best? When are you at your best? When am I at my best? When I do and when you do the best to glorify God. That's when we're at our best. Next week, Chris is going to be preaching in Revelation 7, I believe. And I wanted to close with this particular verse because he'll be talking about this next week. Revelation chapter 7. If you would turn to that. Revelation chapter 7. And I wanted to read this to you because it completes what I've been trying to say about Sole Deo Gloria. Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 says, And all the angels were standing around the throne... And around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. 
Amen. Evangelical preaching must make God, not man, the focus. Amen? We're here to glorify God. That's why we're here. Number five, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Salvation is based on Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, more could we say, you've said it time and time again in your word. We've heard it over and over and over in our lives that everything we have is because of your mercy and your grace and your goodness. And our hearts desire above all things, above everything that we have or ever hope to have, is to glorify you, Lord. May our lives reflect that in our decisions that we make, in the places that we go, in the words that we speak. May the desires of our hearts be pleasing to you. May we glorify you with our actions. May we confess our sins. May we be cleansed by the righteousness of Christ's blood. May we walk in a manner that would bring honor and glory to your name. 